1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 and following. Now before I read this, uh, or before I get into that passage, I want you to just find it, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And then I want you to turn to the book of James because I want to preface the study tonight by observing some things in the book of James about wisdom. For example, I'll let you find that, uh, if you will, quickly. The book of James is over near the end of the New Testament. Find Revelation and work to the back, work left, and you got it. If any of you, verse 5 of the first chapter of James, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. You'll notice that James has been talking about what trials accomplish in us. It, trials make us mature. And he says in verse 4 that, that when trials do their work, that we lack nothing. We're, we have everything we need. We're completed. We are, we're refined. And then he goes right to the next verse and says, but if anyone lacks wisdom, he just got through saying that trials will present us where we lack nothing, then he says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. Well, what he means is this, that in this process that God uses to make us complete, the trials making us complete, if in that process anyone lacks wisdom, during the time that's going on, let him ask of God and he will give it. And I believe with all, with all that's within me to believe that that any person at any time can ask of God concerning wisdom in any situation and believe that God will give him wisdom. This is the way I think he does it. He prays concerning a particular thing. Lord, give me wisdom. And the thing that comes to his mind, the first thing that comes to his mind, he acts on that. He, he, he believes that God's going to give him wisdom. So he asks of God for wisdom in this particular situation. And the first thing that comes to his mind, he acts on that. He's obedient to that, believing that if that's wrong, God will tell him so. Then he comes to chapter 3. So I want you to look at that. Chapter 3 of the book of James. And he talks about two kinds of wisdom. Verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in, gentle, in the gentleness of wisdom. You can recognize good wisdom by its behavior. Now if you ask God for wisdom, you know it's going to be the right thing. And you can recognize good behavior by its, by, good wisdom by its behavior. Its behavior, its deeds in gentleness of wisdom. But there is a second kind of wisdom. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing sounds just like the church at Corinth. Now, now here's the point I want to make tonight to, to begin the study in the third chapter is that in Corinth they had a wisdom. They sought a wisdom that was not from above. It was an earthly wisdom. It was a wisdom that was based upon education, culture, 
and their exposure to the world. And the result of that wisdom was that it brought bitterness and strife and division and jealousy and hypocrisy. It was not a wisdom from God. They did not seek it from Him. But it was a wisdom based upon an earthly comprehension and understanding. It's what we call humanism today or a, a, an intellectual philosophy. If any man lacks wisdom, ask of God. They didn't do that. They sought through their exposure to the world and their culture and their education and understanding and a wisdom. Now look at what comes from above. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now I want you to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse, 8, verse 18. Because we're going to contrast and we're going to see how this wisdom that comes from God affects one's life, you see. And how this um, humanistic philosophy that had pervaded the church at Corinth had caused the problems that existed there. Now, now the, 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 the idea, the principle that is going on in Corinth is that, these, that Paul is a fool that a man is a fool if he seeks for wisdom from above. I mean, you know, there, is, uh, there was this humanistic uh, intellectualism that pervaded that church, and these people thought a man is a fool if he seeks for wisdom from God. And Paul said, that's okay. We are fools for Jesus' sake. In verse 10 of chapter 4, he said, we are fools for Christ." That's all right for you to be a fool, to look foolish, seeking wisdom from above, but just be a wise fool when you do it. And so he, he, he gives us five ways or, uh, uh, that, that you and I can be wise fools. Okay? Uh, you know, when you came to church, and I, I'm sure you were anticipating, how can I be a fool? You know, how can I be a wise fool? I'm going to give you five ways you can be a wise fool. Understanding. And when you're a wise fool, that is, as the world sees you, you're operating on the basis of God's wisdom, divine wisdom. Number one, verse 18 through verse 20. Develop a genuine humility. Let's look at it together. Chapter 3, verse 18. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become foolish that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God, for it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise, that they are useless. Develop a genuine humility. Now what, what Paul is saying is this to these who are overly impressed with themselves. We need to be more hearers than talkers. We need to be more taught than teachers. And he quotes from Job 5 and from Psalm 94, and he's, he's saying, in essence, you folks are not as, as impressive as you may think you are. You, you're not as wise as you think. You're not as important as you think. And, and he just kind of has to remind us that we're not quite as important as we might like to think. We have to be reminded of that sometime. I, I heard about the guy who 
uh, was pretty overly impressed with himself, and, and he and his wife went to bed one night, and she was so tired, and as she laid down, she said, Oh, Lord, I'm tired. He said, You can call me by my first name. Uh, you don't have to call me by my title. And I heard of another guy who was kind of overly impressed, and he was getting ready for the office party, and they were going to honor him maybe for five years, you know, in the, in the office. And, and, and he was putting on his, uh, his uh, cufflinks and looking in the mirror, and he said, Honey, I just wonder how many truly great men there are in the world. And she said, One less than you think. Sometimes it, it helps us to be reminded that we're not as important as we think. Now, I have noticed that a kind of a um, pseudo-intellectualism or a kind of a, of a spirit where we're overly impressed with our self-exist, there are two characteristics of, one, of that. One is that, that it is always disputatious. It always causes strife. And, 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 and bitterness and bickering. And, and secondly, it is always exclusive. It, it always tends to look down on someone rather than to sit down beside someone. And what Paul is trying to say is this. You folks are just the doomed and the damned redeemed. You're not so important. You're just redeemed by God's grace off of the streets of Corinth. And everything you have, you owe to the mercy of God. We must never forget that. And the feelings and the understandings we have of ourselves must be in the light of where we've been and from whence we have come and the understanding that really all we have, if there's anything about us that's worthy of praise, is because of Him. And in Olson's have everything. There's not a person in the world. I don't care if he is exalted, uh, uh, you know, as, as, as the uh, super saint. There's not a person in the world that has any greater access to God than you have and I have. Now he tells us how we're to treat these men that, that he's given us. These uh, notable people. He said in verse 1 of chapter 4, we're to treat them we're to see them as servants. That word, listen to what that word is. The word is lower rower. R-O-W-E-R. I can't help it because I've got a speech impediment. Uh, lower rower. And, and it, has, it has some significance to it. It's like, you know, in the galleys that these men rode, there were three levels of, of rowers on these galleys. And, and it's the bottom one. I mean, you saw about you, you, These men that I've given the church, Peter and Apollos, and Paul, he said, they're on the bottom level of the rowers. I mean, you talk about servants. They are servants. And he calls them stewards. The steward was a middleman. He is the, he's the guy who's, who, who's, who stands in the middle taking care of somebody else's property. Now he's saying, God has given you these people, but don't pedestal them and exalt them. They're just lower rowers. They're just stewards. Don't, don't boast in men. Third, let us be faithful. Now he says in verse 2 of chapter 4, in this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found faithful, trustworthy. Chapter 2, verse 2 of chapter 4. 
Now, now watch this. Paul said, God has this list. He has this requirement of stewards. Now, you're, you're a steward. You, you understand you have a stewardship. You're a man in the middle. God has given you the responsibility of taking care of what he's left on earth. Now, you say, God has, God has a list of what he requires of you. Let's roll out the list and see what he requires of you. There's one word on that list, faithful. Faithfulness. He doesn't, now watch this, he doesn't even require us to be fruitful just faithful. You see, God is responsible for the fruit. We're responsible for the faithfulness. Are you faithful? And that's the one thing that God requires of you. I, I guess it's, the, it's at the heart of the whole thing. A guy says to me, he says, I have this beautiful wife. She's the greatest cook. I mean, you talk about cook. She's a great cook. And she can clean house and she's such a wonderful mother. The only problem is she's unfaithful. I mean, you say, well, you got a prize. You know. <laughs> How lucky can you get? I mean, wonderful cook, great housekeeper, great mother, just unfaithful. God has one requirement of you and me. That is that we're faithful. Let's be faithful. You want, a, you want wisdom? You want to operate from above? Then be faithful. That is, you know what that means? It means to make yourself available to God. It's something I'm learning. I'm going to share it again because it's a part of my heart. I want you to learn it. Three months ago, I discovered something. I've been in the ministry since I was 18. That is, all God wants me to do is just be available to His anointing, His power. Just say, Lord, here I am today. I'll witness for you if you'll put somebody, if you'll tell me who to witness to. I'm, I'm, I accept your anointing. In the, in the name of Jesus, I accept your anointing. God, send me out. People were saved. I mean, just make yourself available to God. Just be faithful to be there. That's all he asked. Fourth, make a little. How to be a wise fool. Make a little of the other's opinions. Now, I want you, I'm going to read this, verse 3 and 4, because I need to hear it myself. But to me, it is a very small thing that I should be examined by you. Mm. It's a very small thing that I should be examined by you. Or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. He's talking about three examinations. He's talking about the examination of others. That's where he's at right here. That's what I'm talking about when I say, don't let, let it matter too much, the opinions of others. You know, some people just live on the basis of what others think about them. Now, the Apostle Paul is not saying it doesn't matter at all to me. It says it doesn't matter much. He said, I'm not ignoring. He didn't say, I'm not ignoring uh, what you think about me. He said, it just doesn't matter that much to me. Now, I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said that the most vulnerable time that a preacher ever has in his life is, is standing at the door on Sunday morning, listening to folks come by. Some say, man, that was great. Some say, well, that wasn't so hot. You know, some say, what a sermon. Others say, I don't agree with all of that. Some don't say anything. That's the worst. You know, I mean, that's the worst kind. What's he thinking? You know, 
And, and it used to be so important to me what everybody was saying. But I know some guys, you know them too, who've literally been driven out of the ministry because they just lived on the basis of what the people thought of them, what they said about them, how they responded to them. I know young people who have sacrificed everything that's valuable because of what, because they wanted others to think a certain way about them. He said, it's just a small matter to me. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, the first 15 minutes after I preach, I don't go to the back. He said, I didn't go to the back and listen to what people said. The first 15 minutes after I preached, he went into the prayer room, spent that 15 minutes on his knees, the most vulnerable time. He said, I don't even examine myself. That is, I'm not overly critical of myself. He said, I know that the one who examines me is the Lord. Now, you talk about a church with wisdom. You talk about people who are operating on a basis of divine wisdom. You let the only thing that really matters what God thinks about you. And we're going to be operating on the basis of divine wisdom. Fifth, leave the judgment and the criticism of others with the Lord. That is, you leave your judgment and your criticism of others with the Lord. Look at verse 5. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, that is, before the end of the age, but wait until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. Oh, I, I had to underline that. Each man's praise will come from God. What about the judge of condemnation? Well, he's not even talking about that. He's talking about praise will come from the Lord. You don't judge others. You don't be critical of others. You leave that to God. Now, for two reasons. When you judge others and you criticize others, as a matter of fact, he's saying, I don't want other, I don't want other people to criticize me. I'm not going to listen to what they say about me. Therefore, I can't say anything about them. Now, there's two reasons why you must not condemn or criticize other people and judge them. One is, he said, because you don't have all the facts. You don't have all the facts. There are a lot of things that might be true about something or somebody that you judge and condemn that you don't even know about. You don't have all the facts. God will bring that to light at the end of the age. The second reason you're not to judge others or condemn them is because you don't know their motives. And when the Lord returns, He said, He'll bring everything to light. He'll just lay all the facts out on the table and we're going to say, well, blow me down. At least we'll say that. I didn't realize that. And he's going to show us the motives. You know, sometimes the motive that behind what causes a person to do something is totally veiled and hidden. Now, there is a wisdom that's from the earth. That's wisdom that's based entirely upon our perception and our understanding what goes on. But he said, I want a church that operates on the basis of divine wisdom. Now, here's the way you get it. You become a fool. You just be a fool. And this is the way you become one. Let's pray together. 
Father, I thank you for allowing us just to peek into your word and understand what's there, Lord, and, and grasp some things for us that we can apply directly to life, Lord, and we can take with us day by day, in and out. And I pray that this word will be fruitful in the lives of people. Lord, we've been faithful to be here. We've been faithful to say what you wanted us to say now, Lord. The result is yours, up to you. Thank you for the freedom that we have in knowing that we can just be available and leave the results to you. Because I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now I want to give an invitation tonight. In fact, I want to extend a threefold invitation. An invitation for people to receive Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Maybe you've never declared your faith, placed your faith in Jesus Christ. I'd like for you to consider doing that tonight. This is a good time. This is the best time to do it. This is the appointed time for you to declare your faith in Jesus Christ, trusting Him alone for your salvation. Transfer your trust from where it is to Him. Second invitation is for you to join the church. Maybe God has led in your being here, being a part of this group from Sunday to Sunday. God will lead you to put your life with us. Have you, have you prayed about it? Have you asked God? Have you asked Him for wisdom in it? Third invitation is for you to perhaps to get from where you are to where you want to be, repentance of sin in your life and, and coming to the Lord for rededication. Those are the invitations. We'll ask you to come on the first word. That's the best time while we stand to sing and come. Now I'm going to ask the choir. I'm going to ask the choir to sing that first stanza that people need the Lord. I'm telling you what, that turns me every way but loose. And while they're singing that song, I want to make a second appeal to you this tonight. It, maybe just as this sweet couple have come to place their life in our church, you'd feel led to do that. Come to declare your faith in Jesus Christ. Come to say, I just need to walk with the Lord in a closer way. It's a good time. It's the best time. Come on while they sing that song, would you?